from Delancey Elam Church. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. in the Delancey Elam Church building at Le Banks, St. Samson, in the Channel Island of Guernsey. To contact us or find out more information about us, please visit our website at delanceyelam.co.uk. Okay, Psalm 126. Uh, I've been speaking for the last few weeks about the condition, about the heart and having the heart right over the last few weeks. And I just felt strongly this morning as to speak on this psalm. I just want to speak of that, you know, just bring some points out from this whole psalm. I just felt so strongly this was what God would have me say this morning. Psalm 126. It says, When the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongue with singing. Then they said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. Bring back our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. I, love, I just love that song. There's so many awesome, powerful truths right there in that song. We just see that, you know, how the, right here we're told how they were rejoicing. This is Old Testament, this is really before Christ came. But they were rejoicing. And I just love this. That the, they were just filled with joy. They were singing, they were dancing. And we just see how happy they were. And I just feel something powerful about that. There's something powerful about being somebody who's just full of that happiness and that joy and that rejoicing and that praising. You know, I've found often your praise and, and your, if you like, your joy, your, your happiness, if you like, it's often dependent on what your heart's attached to. You notice that? You know, you get your praise, you get your, if you like, your ability to enjoy something, your ability to, to be thankful over something based on what your heart is attached to. So, my heart, so if my heart is really attached to God, the result of being attached to him will mean that I'll just be rejoicing. It will be a natural thing for me to do. You know, we shouldn't squeeze praise out of people. Who notice that? It shouldn't be like, you know, getting blood out of a stone, trying to get praise out of God's people. It really should be something that is so natural to us, so just something we just do naturally, without anything, any, any, being, any working or anything kind of being forced, it should be a natural reaction because of what we're attached to. If we're attached to, to God's presence, if, if we're connected to God, close to Him, walking with Him, then often the result of that is just praise. If it's something we've got to kind of struggle and strive to create, it means somewhere along the line the connection's been severed. Something somewhere along the line we're not connected to Him to the level we should be connected to him. 
Because the more I'm connected to him, the more I'm like this psalm. The Lord has done great things for us, and we're glad. It's almost a, a, re, a natural reaction to what takes place. What your heart is attached to is what gets you excited. You know, people get so involved in sport. Have you seen that? I just love that. I just love seeing people, and you see the camera span around the sport, and you see grown men crying at times. Some of them, I love the ones where they take their tops off and they wait, you know, they, you know these guys with big beer bellies and there, the tops are off and they're there waving their tops around. You know, they just, they have that because their hearts are attached to that sport. There's hearts attached to that. And the result of that is excitement. So if our hearts are attached to God, now I'm not saying you should take your shirts off man, and swing them around. I don't know, that'd be interesting. But, but the point is, is what your heart's attached to creates the excitement. So as my heart's attached to God, there's an excitement that flows from that. Amen. Now, we just see, let's, let's just get to some of the background of this particular psalm here. Because God warned the, the people for 150 years. He warned them. But unless they repented, got their lives right with God... That, that, that really they would bring judgment on themselves. Ever thought about this? Sin not only offends God, but actually it damages us. It affects us. It's like eating bad food. It's going to kind of give you a bad stomach. Ultimately, we are the ones who pay the price and we're not obeying God, really, ultimately. And here God, he warns the people, time after time, after time. And because the people didn't listen, the result was they ended up into captivity. Ended up in Babylonian captivity. And the Babylonians came down, they smashed the temple, they destroyed the wards of Jerusalem, they took the people with them, and they, if you like, they scattered them all over the Babylonian empire. But then there was a prophecy that said 70 years and the people will be brought right back to the land that they were taken captive from. And now this psalm is talking about that. That the people now come out of their captivity. They were scattered all in different places and, it, and a Persian king made it possible for them to go back. So here's the, really what this psalm's about. They are now going back. They've been out of the land for 70 years, out of the land. And now they're returning back from their captivity. And so because of that, there's an incredible excitement. They're amazed. They're standing all at the mercy and the love of God. They're dancing. They're full of joy. They're full of celebration. They're full of laughter. They're so happy because what God has done. That's what it says. It says the Lord has brought us out. Verse 4. He brought us back out of our captivity. And so there's this celebration that's going on. The Lord has turned back our captivity. And they were full of laughter. They were so happy. This is what God has done for us. Isn't that wonderful? Laughter, happiness and joy. I think it's always good 
to see the good things God has done for us. You must realise what captivity you've been brought from. You know, the truth is, some of us right now, had God not delivered us out of that captivity, might not even be alive right here and now. Who knows some of the stuff that we either got into? Who knows where our lives right now would have ended up had God not delivered us out of our captivity? I wonder, did I say, how many of us would have kind of ruined our lives or wrecked our lives in some way? Who knows this morning where we would be had God not delivered us out of our captivity? I'm glad Jesus saved me this morning. Turn me from my captivity. He whom the Son sets free is free indeed. I'm saying this one. Don't just think about the problems. Think about what God has brought you from. I think it's always good to remember what God has brought us from. And God said to the children of Israel, remember what I've brought you from. Now, I know maybe you're not in your heart, you think, I know I should be further on maybe where I am, but praise God, you're not where you used to be. Maybe you're not where you ought to be, but you're not where you used to be. I mean, you can see the difference in that. You're not where you used to be. You, you're not what you used to be. You were blind, but now you see. Bound, but now you're free. Had compulsive, all kinds of stuff. Things that were destroying you. But God turned it all around. He turned the captivity around. Here's what I suppose what I'm saying. I think the reason why we're not kind of experiencing what this psalm says often, this full of laughter, full of praise, full of celebration, celebratory life, is because we tend to celebrate experiences, but we don't celebrate our position. Now the truth is, if we just celebrate experiences, experiences come and go. Is that right? I love to have encounters. I love to have experiences in God. But I've got to live a life of celebration more than that. If it's just based on feelings, if it's just based on experiences, then it's going to be very up and down. You can see that. But if my celebration and my praise is based on my position, that never alters. My position never alters. I'm a child of God, regardless of how I feel. I'm an heir of Jesus Christ, joint heir with Christ, an heir of God, regardless of what happens that week. I'm a new creation, regardless of what happens during that week. So when I learn to celebrate and praise God for my position, then I can continually be filled with praise. Because... Here's the problem. Unless I learn to do that, then when the problems come, I collapse. Because my praise and my celebratory life is based on my experience, based on my feelings, not based on my position. How many can see that? Jesus said, don't rejoice that you cast out demons. That's a great thing to do. He said, don't just rejoice because of that. Rejoice that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Get excited that, you're, that you can enter into God's presence because of the blood and because you are a child of God. Rejoice in your position. 
if we're ignorant of our position, I believe this is the key, that we don't praise to the level we should because often we are ignorant of our position. We are ignorant to what God has made us into. The more we get revelation of that, the more we get understanding of that, then the more we will praise. I was thinking also, it wasn't just the fact that we got salvation. But when, even, even when we were Christians, how many, since you've been a Christian, have messed up? How many have made a mistake since you became a Christian? How many have failed? Here's the truth, that when we look at it, even though we became Christians, we still messed up, we still failed, but here's the incredible thing. God was still faithful even when we were unfaithful. God still was there for us. God still was working in our lives. He was still turning our captivity. And so we can continually live a life of incredible celebration. I don't know about you, but I can think of things, decisions I made that could have actually blown up and literally destroyed my life. But God, God's goodness was greater than even my messes, even my mistakes. That's how good God is. That's why I can continually be celebrating and praising that the goodness of God and his deliverance from captivity. That's what he says in verse 2. He says, our mouths were filled with laughter. Oh, that's just awesome. I think whenever you see a morose, overly serious, depressed Christian, that is not a sign of spirituality. That's not a sign of spirituality. In fact, it's opposite, often a sign of something wrong. How many found that? Because the Bible says, it's joy. The joy of the Lord is strength. You find that when, when, when the joy of God's in your heart, there's not a lot that you can't face in life. It's amazing the strength that you have to face crisis, to face difficulties, to face problems, when your heart is full of joy. It's almost you become immune to all kinds of pressures, all kinds of crises in life. You kind of sail through it when there's joy there. Because in joy there's spiritual strength to face the issues and the difficulties that life throws at you. It's when we've got no joy that we feel weak and we feel vulnerable. We, we feel unable to face the pressures and the difficulties because almost we've got no joy there. When there's no joy, your energy is sapped, your strength is sapped. But when joy's there, I tell you this morning, there's nothing you can't face. Ever read Fox's Books of Martyr? That's a good reading for you as you go to bed. But, you know, one of the great things about some of those amazing guys who, who went off to, to the stake to be burned, you know what strikes me about it? Was the incredible joy they had facing it. You read incredible stories, particularly my brother Yun, these sort of people who had incredible persecution in China. The thing that strikes you was the joy they had in the midst of it. They rejoiced in the midst of incredible, overwhelming persecution. God is a God of joy. I haven't found that. I think one of the, the things that we... We often don't struggle with seeing God as a God of holiness and of judgment. And those are part of God's characteristics. And a God of... You know, a, a God that's of 
incomprehensible, all those things that we, we don't struggle with that particular area. But it's amazing how we struggle with a vision of a God of joy. It's amazing how we struggle with that concept of God. Yet the Bible says, in his presence there is what? Fullness of joy. The Bible says that, that, that when God looks at his people, it says he rejoices over you. He rejoices over you. I think one translation says he, he jumps up and does a, he turns around in the air. There's almost this sense that, the Bible says that over one sinner that repents, God throws a party. That tells me that every second of every day there's a party in heaven. See, God is a God of celebration. The Pharisees struggle with Jesus on one issue. They struggle with the fact he lived a life of celebration. They were so strict. They were so miserable. They, they, were, they, were, they actually took pride in the fact they were so miserable. They thought it was a spiritual side of their life. And they contended with Jesus because he was such a person of joy and a person of celebration. And they couldn't grasp it, they couldn't understand it, and they battled with it continually. That's what religion does. Religion will always steal someone's joy out of their heart. You'll find that when religion gets a hold of you, and you'll know when you've kind of crossed the line into religion. You know why? Because you've got no joy. There's no joy there. You don't enjoy what you're doing. You don't enjoy God. You don't enjoy the Christian life. The joy, at, the joy has gone out of it. And so we often replace it with outward exteriors and formula. But God says they were, their mouths were filled with laughter. They remembered their deliverance. And so they lived a lifestyle of thankfulness and celebration. When we don't remember what the, the good things that God has done for us, that's how we become dull and apathetic. Let me show you a bit further off one of the Psalms, Psalm 78. We need to continually remember how good God is. We need to constantly remember the, the goodness of God, the mercy of God, the blessings of God. Continually living a life of celebration and praise. Psalm 78, 9-11. This is what happens when you forget the power of God. This is what happens when you forget what God has done in the past. This is what happens when you forget the mercy of God, the goodness of God, the good things of God. This is the result of it. Psalm 78, verse 9-11. The children of Ephraim being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle. Why? They didn't keep covenant of God. They refused to walk in his law. Here's what happens. They forgot his works and his wonders that he had shown them. Go to verse 41. Yes, again and again, they tempted God. What did they do? They limited the Holy One of Israel. How did they limit God? Verse 42, they did not remember his power. They forgot his power. They forgot the amazing things that he did for them. They forgot what he did. And because they forgot what he did, they limited God in their life. You know, you know, what, you know how we can make known the, 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 the works of God? Testimonies. How many love testimonies? I think testimonies are powerful things. I think as you share your testimonies, as you make the deeds of God known, it keeps you in 
fresh anointing. You encourage yourself by meditating on God's past faithfulness. I think you can build your faith for tomorrow by remembering what God did yesterday. You know, sometimes if I need faith over a certain thing, I remember how God worked for me in the past. If I've got a, a need, I remember how God delivered me in the past from a situation. I remember how he provided for me in the past. I remember how he's healed me in the past. I remember how he's blessed me in the past. And so as I remember the past deeds of God, it gives me faith. If he did it yesterday, he can do it today. Is that right? If he did it in the past, he can do it again. This is what Revelation says. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of of prophecy. The spirit, the, the, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Every time we declare the works of God, then I think, I think we release a creative, prophetic anointing that changes atmospheres. And I found that time again. Sometimes you can be a kind of in a heavy atmosphere and somebody shares a testimony, a healing, a need being met. Or God in some way doing some work in their life. And suddenly the whole atmosphere changes. We found that, we found that. Suddenly the whole atmosphere changes. Because there's something in the testimony that is prophetic that releases an anointing of God that can change atmospheres. That's why I think testimony in all different ways is so, so important. In fact, every time we declare a testimony, we create a fresh anointing for a breakthrough. I remember, I've seen this happen time again. Someone gets up and says, you know what, I had a really bad, I had an incredible bad back, and God healed me. Someone's sitting there thinking, you know what, I've got a bad back as well. And there's something in their healing, and as they testify about it, it releases faith with somebody in the same condition. I've seen it time and time again. Because this is what your mind thinks. If God did it for them, then why can't he do it for me? That's why I believe the testimony of Jesus Christ is prophetic. It releases all kinds of anointings to bring, you know, the same anointing that brought the breakthrough in the first place is the same anointing that gives somebody else a breakthrough. It so works for them. And I found this. In every story of what God has done, it reveals something of his nature. When someone stands up and says, well, I had an incredible financial need, and God met it. No, 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 it reminds me of, it reminds me, God, thank you, that you are a God of provision. When someone stands up and says, you know, I was healed of, a, of, of some problem in my body, that reminds me that God is a healing God. If someone says, you know, I was in an incredibly dark pit, couldn't see any way out of it, but God delivered me out of my pit, that reminds me that God is a delivering God, a God of freedom, God of deliverance. Every time someone shares a story, and it doesn't have to necessarily be something miraculous, it's just a story of how God intervened in your life, something in that always reveals something of God's nature. You see something in God, let me found that. You see, your story that you tell reveals something of God's nature and God's character. And so they said, God has delivered us from our captivity and revealed something of the nature of God, end result, celebration, dancing joy. 
Think of it the other way. No testimony, no sharing the good things of God, no joy, no celebration. Let me see the opposite of that. So we need to be a people who are looking to do that. And notice he says in verse 5 and 6. Go back to, go back to that psalm right there. Okay, verse 5 and 6 of Psalm 126. So here we see the people are celebrating, they're thankful that they've been delivered out of their captivity. Sometimes we think, that's wonderful, God's delivered me out of that, and that's fantastic. It says in verse 6, it says, verse 4, let me go to the end of verse 4, and the streams in the south those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. Who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing their sheaves with them. You know, you think about this psalm right now. They're talking about streams, aren't they? Incredible streams, and it's amazing, awesome and great. Suddenly, that psalm does a U-turn. Now it's talking about harsh conditions. Sowing your seed and the ground is hard. Doesn't that speak about life? One minute you're having an amazing time and just in a moment things can turn. That's life, isn't it? You could be right right up there on the mountaintop and amazing things are happening in your life. You're being blessed in all kinds of ways or maybe you have an amazing deliverance. You have a testimony, you get a healing, something amazing happens and suddenly a problem just comes up like that. And I've found new levels, new devils. See, when you go forward, when you go on and forward, you always find that just because you've come out of one problem, just because you've come out of one crisis situation, it doesn't mean from now on there's never going to be another problem. Is that right? It doesn't mean there's never going to be any more challenges, any more things for you to go through. And that's what this psalm talks about. They're rejoicing. They've had amazing testimonies. They've had amazing blessings. And now they talk of these harsh conditions. And I think verse 5 and verse 6 is a promise for everyone praying for a loved one. For everyone who's hanging on to God. I don't care how hard the situation looks, here is a problem. Here is a promise to you right now. He who sows in tears shall reap. Simple promise. He who sows in tears shall reap. I want you to see something. We often lose sight of this because we live in a, often a land of, 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 of abundance, if you like. But in those days, they might have had just a handful of seed in their hand. Harsh, barren conditions. What do they do? Do they eat the seed for now? Or do they sow it. And as they were sowing those seeds, tears were running down their eyes because that's all they had left. And so now they're sowing those seeds into the ground in harsh conditions. But here is the principle. If you sow in tears, you reap in joy. Sometimes a farmer might not reap because of all kinds of bad conditions that can happen when he sows. 
But I tell you, for a Christian, that promise is unbreakable. That promise will come to pass. He who sows in tears shall reap in joy. Shall reap in joy. In other words, whoever brings their problem to God, their brokenness to God, whoever pours out their hearts to God, whoever seems the mountains and they seem so big, instead of giving up, says, God, you know what I'm facing, you know the tears that I'm pouring out, but I'm giving this thing to you. And I'm going to keep obeying you. I'm going to keep serving you. I'm going to keep doing what you tell me to do, no matter how hard it seems. And you're serving God, even though the problems are hard, even though it's difficult, even though your heart's breaking. But as you give it to God, God gives you a guarantee. If you would sow with tears, you will reap with joy. If you would trust me in the hard places, if you would trust me in the difficult places, when you're praying, and as you're praying, you're just kind of wiping away your tears as you see the heartbreaking situation, you're bringing it to God, and as you think about it, as you pray over it, as you bring it to God, just tears are flowing out your eyes, and you you're broken inside about it, but you're not moaning about it, you're not complaining about it, you're just bringing your brokenness and your pain to God and the tears are flowing out. God says, if you would sow with tears, you are going to reap with joy. You know what I'm saying this morning? Never be afraid of crying. <laughs> Never be afraid of shedding those tears. Some of the most powerful prayers I've ever heard actually haven't been spoken with words. They've just been tears. Those are some of the most powerful prayers you can ever pray. They're not, you can't articulate them with words. But I've found this. God understands the language of tears. You know what someone said? In a song, someone said this. Tears are a language that God understands. And there's something so awesome. David said, I lay awake at night and I water my pillow with tears. Paul said, I travail like a mother giving birth till Jesus Christ be formed in you. The Bible says that when Jesus saw Jerusalem, he wept over it. I think there's something awesome and wonderful when you pour out your emotions to God. When the tears flow out to God and you pour your heart out to God and you, you, you cry out to Him. If you do that, then although there may be sorrow in the morning, sorry, although there may be sorrow at night, joy is going to come in the morning. Joy is going to come in the morning. And I think there's a period of time often in our lives when it does seem difficult. Sometimes you know, we look for formulas. If I just do this, if I just do that, but sometimes you have to pour your heart out to God. Let the tears flow. Let your heart flow out to Him. And God says, whoever serves me to the point of tears, whoever serves me, so I'm going to cause them to have songs of joy. You say, when will He do it? I don't know. How will He do it? I haven't got the faintest idea. But all I know is this. 
If you would sow in tears, you will reap with joy. You will reap in joy. And this is what God says. He says, whoever trusts me and follows me and serves me in, in the hard places, he's going to be like a farmer who's going out with, with a pouch. He takes a handful of seed. He scatters them over the ground. And the ground looks impossible. The ground looks hard. The ground looks difficult. But as he sows his seed and he waits months, months, months in the, in the future, there comes a day when he goes to the same ground that looks so hard, that looks so difficult, that looks so barren, he goes with a sheaf and rump, suddenly finds there's a great harvest waiting for him. Suddenly he finds this amazing harvest waiting for him. And you'll find so many people, great men of God, had periods of tears. But the difference was this. They didn't give up with their tears. They didn't give up when the situations got hard and difficult. When things happened, they didn't understand. They didn't give up. They kept sowing. They kept sowing and sowing and sowing until they came to a day where there came great rejoicing as they gathered the harvesting. Can you say amen? Hudson Taylor. How many have heard of Hudson Taylor? Great missionary. Incredible missionary. Started the Chinese in the mission and, and through that, all, you know, actually revolutionized the way mission is done, actually. First one to dress up, really, in, if you like, in the, in the clothes of, of the nation, of the culture he was trying to reach. When he went to China, he took his family with him. He had a little girl that was so, that he loved with all his heart. This little girl that he loved so much. And she'd often look and say, Daddy, Look at those people worshipping idols. Oh, if only they would turn to Jesus and find Jesus. And he loved this little girl, and this little girl was such an encouragement to his heart. Months after going to China, that little girl died. Broke his heart. Totally broke his heart. But in the midst of his tears, he kept sowing the seed. He kept evangelizing. He kept witnessing. He kept doing the things we knew God had called him to give. Even though his heart was broken. Even though things had just broken around him. He became the first missionary to have such an impact upon that nation. In fact, China now is the fastest growing Christian nation in the world. There are more Christians in China than any other nation in the world. Partly down... To this man, in his pain and his tears, so in tears. I just—I saw it last night. Actually, it really struck me again. Bethany Hamilton. Some of you ladies saw the DVD of that. She's the the girl that, when she was surfing out surfing, she lost a shot, took her arm, and she actually continued to do professional surfing even though she lost her arm. And it's an amazing story. How that she kept testifying to God's goodness and, and kept pushing through and persevering and wouldn't let sight of God. And, and she's got now this incredible testimony. She goes throughout the world sharing her testimony and still doing professional surfing. Isn't that amazing? I put some, what's the film called now? Sur, pun? 
Salsa, yeah, Soul Surfers. So, if you ever see, you have to watch that. If you've not watched it, it's an amazing film, really sturgeon. But you know, that girl is now becoming a whole model to a whole young generation. Of what can be achieved if you're willing to hold on to God in the hard times, how that God can still use you. There's a guy called Nicky, I think Vajic his name is. And you, you, look at, you watch him on YouTube, Nicky Vajic. He's got no arms and he's got no legs. Imagine, no arms and no legs. And yet he preaches, he testifies, he, he's impacted a whole young generation. He's become a role model for a whole young generation. He's got no arms and no legs and just stands there. He'll just be there. And he's just a whole testimony for a whole young generation. Those that sow in tears, what? Shall reap with joy. Now that's what it says here. It says, notice, it goes forth. You know, that seed can be your talents. It can be your resources. It can be all kinds of things. But you have got to release this. And it says, the seed becomes precious seed. Because you can have seed, but until you're willing to make a sacrifice with that seed, that seed remains seed. That seed remains in your hands until you release it. So you take your gifts, you take your talents, you take your abilities, you take your resources, and it may cost you something. It's a sacrifice. But the moment you release it, what becomes sacrificial, what becomes seed, we're told here, becomes precious seed. See, we want to go beyond good. We want to go beyond average. We want to allow the seed that God has given to us to become precious seed. Sometimes we can have seed, but never release it, never scatter it, because we know sometimes it's a sacrifice to do it. And so we hold on to our resources. We hold on to certain gifts and talents and abilities because we don't want to pay the price to release it. But the moment you take your seed and you release it, the Bible says God takes that and in his eyes it becomes precious seed. Precious seed. What you realize goes forth and God's, this is what God says. And I love this. Verse 6. Shall what? Doubtless. Come again. Doubtless. It's going to happen. It's a guaranteed fact. Take your seed, release, take all the potential that's in your life. Don't waste your potential. Don't waste things that God's poured into your life. And if you're willing to pull that out, pull that forth, then doubtless, doubtless, guarantee, absolute, without any shadow, any question mark, it will happen. God will begin to restore. God will begin to cause harvest to flow in the fields of your life, in, in, the, in the territory of your life. You begin to see harvest, you begin to see joy, you begin to see accumulation, you begin to see God using those seeds that you've sown. And who knows, the seeds that you sow, it could change, it could change an island, who knows? Is that right? There's, there are things in you that God's put in you that could change an island. That at the very least, they could change somebody's life. Is that right? That could actually revolutionise someone's life. I think most of us here 
Our lives have been changed in some way, transformed because someone sowed a seed into our life at some point. And because of that, it became precious seed that impacted, influenced someone's life. And the seed God's given you, you can have that same influence, that same impact. Thank you for listening to this free download from Delancey Elam Church. For more downloads, information or to contact us, please visit our website at delanceyelam.co.uk.